Well, the church is an amazing, amazing place. It stands as a, a signpost in a world that really is crazy. I don't even have to defend a statement like that. We all just know that things are off the rails. We look at the world and we look at the confusion over what is truth, what really matters. Or you look at the amount of chaos in the world, the hatred and the division that is going on, and the church stands as a place in the midst of all of this, as I've said, as a signpost. But as we look at the world, I came across an article that, that kind of captures a little bit of a picture of what the world looks like. It was in the New York Times. It was a man who was crazy silly about spiders. So he finds a spider in his house, much like many of us come across now and then, and he decides to create his own flame torch. So he sees the spider on a table in the corner and he gets a can of paint and a match and he gets this idea that he's going to spray this spider. And he sprays, the flame starts bursting up. Pretty soon the table's on fire. The corner of the house is on fire. The whole thing is burning. He's calling the fire department. $40,000 later, as he rebuilds his house, he's destroyed the spider and everything else around it, right? And I'm like, that's a picture of the world. We're throwing all these solutions at all this stuff when the church comes along and says the solution is really pretty simple. It's wrapped up, it's tied into a single person, Jesus Christ. And so the church brings a message of hope, a message of solution to all that is going on in the world. Well, this morning, we're continuing our series. We've been looking at elements of the church. What church? And we know that it's got to be a church now that's centered in Jesus Christ. It doesn't help to talk about a church that's built for us and around us as if we're the center of the church, but it's got to be centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Then we said, well, why church? And we started looking at what the church offers and what the church is doing in terms of the issues going on in the world. Then I answered last week, why church now? Why is it so critical? Why is it so urgent? Well, this morning, I want to take us to a new place. I want to bring us to a place that Jesus takes us with a church in Philadelphia in the New Testament. If you have a Bible or a device and you'd like to come with me to Revelation, the book of Revelation again, chapter 3, I'm only going to read a couple verses, verses 11 to 13. Now, if you're a guest, just so you understand what's going to happen next, I will invite the body to stand in just a moment if they're able to stand. And if you're a guest, the reason we do that is we recognize that God wants to speak, right? Now, here's what's been happening in the service so far. We've been expressing things to God. We've heard people express things at these baptism stories. But now, now there's a sacred moment for those that want to hear. For those that really want to see what God has, God is going to speak to us in his word. That's why we want to honor the word. So if you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand as I read Revelation chapter 3. 
verses 11 to 13. Jesus says this, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and could I just say to Fox Valley Church this morning. Let's pray. Father, it's been a great morning. And, and we invite now your Spirit to speak loudly and clearly, even if it's a still, small voice, into our hearts. We're here, God, not by accident, but by your divine design. And you have something to say. Give us those ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. Well, Jesus gives really one command, and it's a command we're, we're going to come back to, but it's hold on, hold fast is the way it was written. But, it, but in our vernacular, the way we would say it in our country would be hold on tight, hold on tight to your faith. Now, why did he say that to the church in Philadelphia? He said that to the church there because it was a crazy time. <laughs> You don't tell somebody to hold fast. You don't tell somebody to hold on if everything's sailing smoothly. If there's nothing rocking the boat, if you will. It's when things are stirring, when things are messy, when things are complicated, we need to be reminded, hold on. And so Jesus says to this church, hold on. Now, as we look at this church this morning, it's different than all the other churches we've looked at. This church, Jesus gives them seven promises. Now, we don't have time to look at all seven promises. What I want to do is look at three of the promises. Three of the promises that Jesus said to this church as they hold on. Or let me say it a little differently. If you hold on, you will get the fruit of these three promises. So here's the first we see is Jesus will reward he will reward his faithful church. Jesus will reward those who hold fast. We know that there's people walking away from the church in droves today. In fact, let me just tell you, Gallup poll recently came out with a new poll that set an unprecedented record in the United States. For the last 80 years, or could we say since the end of World War II, Every time the United States was polled about belief in God, it always hit 90, most often 92 or 93 percent, and in some years as high as 98 percent. That has been for the last 80 years. For the first time, the new Gallup poll shows that Americans are down at 80%. That is a record amount of change. And let me say, I do not think 
the slide is changing. Now, let's be really clear. We're not talking about church attendance right now. We're not talking about people participating in church. What we're talking about are people disbelieving or disavowing a belief in God Almighty. That is a change that has happened. And so that change, as we've talked about, is seeping into the church and people now are walking away. And Jesus says, hold on, hold fast in your faith. That's what he's talking about. Hold on in your belief in God. Hold on in your belief in Jesus Christ and the power to change lives. And if you do, he says, you will be rewarded. And can I just say, that reward is going to be good. It is going to be good. So, who made this promise? As we read each of these letters, we see back in verse 7 that Jesus describes himself and anchors this promise in himself. And he says this, the angel to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, and remember what is recorded in heaven is recorded on earth, showing that this is a solemn promise that's made to the entire universe. And he says, the words of the Holy One. Jesus refers to himself as the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. So out of that, let me just bring out the three things that Jesus does to describe himself so that you and I, as we hear the promise that he's going to bring reward and it's going to be good, we need to know who's making this promise. The first thing he says is, I am the holy one. Now, that sounds like a word you would hear in church, just the word holy, right? So here he is. He says, I'm the holy one. He's saying there is no one in the entire universe like me. I am set apart in power. I'm set apart in knowledge. I am set apart in wisdom. And you can just keep going. But now here's the problem. When we hear a phrase like that we just start thinking of someone or something that's powerful and we just magnify it exponentially and say oh that's god that's not what he's talking about <laughs> it's true there's no one like him there's no one as powerful but what he's trying to say is that this is beyond comparison this is beyond comparison so when isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 Isaiah says God is holy, holy, holy. No other attribute of God is given in the Bible three times like that. Yeah, we can read in 1 John 4, 8 and verse 16, God is love, but it doesn't say God is love, love, love. In Isaiah, he says this God that we worship is set apart. He's unique. There is nothing or no one like him. He is holy, holy, holy. And when you encounter this God in a real way, when you see the true God as holy, you fall on your face. You fall on your face. God has even given us stories. We see Moses. And he was raised in an Egyptian household. He was trained with the best. 
where some of you know the story. He gets himself into a conflict and he flees. And he's a man in his 80s. And what happens? He, he's out in the desert and he sees this burning bush. And he's, he's just overwhelmed. Like, why isn't that bush being consumed? And so he walks over to the bush. And a voice comes from the bush. Says, take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. And you get this picture of Moses like a rag doll. He just melts in the presence and the power of the true and living God. That's what we're talking about when we talk about holy. This God is not one to be trifled with. So when Jesus comes to the church here in Philadelphia and he says, hey, I'm the holy one, he's trying to tell this church, this is who I am. I am a force to be reckoned with, whether you believe it or not. Well, the next, he says that he is the true one. The idea that he is genuine, that he's real. There's a lot of people even today, just like at that time in the church, that would try to push down on Jesus as the true promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Today, I hear people diminishing who Jesus really is, that he is the God-man, that he's fully God and fully man, and people try to describe him in all kinds of ways. And Jesus says, no, I'm the true one. There is no one more genuine than me, the God-man. And we could go further on that as well. Then he says, I am the one who has the key of David. And the key of David saying, I have the key to the kingdom, the kingdom that was promised, the kingdom that he is now building, the kingdom that he is now establishing. And I know there are people here today that can see the kingdom, they can taste the kingdom, they can feel the kingdom because they know the King, Jesus Christ. And what we at Fox Valley Church want is the whole world to know and feel and see the kingdom because what Jesus is saying is I give access to the king, kingdom. Nobody gets into the kingdom apart from me turning the king, the key and opening the door. And that is what these baptisms were all about this morning. These are women and men Students that came to the conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural work. You can try to explain it from a human perspective, but what's happening is deeply spiritual, profound, mysterious, and God is opening their eyes to the need of a Savior. And they fall on their knees and they say, God, forgive me. Come into my life and change me and transform me and make me the person you want me to be. And that is what these people are testifying to. And that's what Jesus is saying is, I have that key to the kingdom. And every one of these people that profess today that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is their Savior, they have now access to the full kingdom when it comes in all of its glory. And that is the beauty of the promises of this reward, is it's not about all these other things, that is about this one Jesus who is there. Now let me just pause right now. If you're here and we've heard it several times and the Spirit is stirring and you've not been baptized, now is the time to get baptized. Now is the time to say, I'm done listening to the world and their confusing ideas about what is true, what really matters, how to live life. 
I want to listen to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, get up out of your seat at any time during the message. No one will care. I certainly won't. And there's some elders in the back at the pub table in the back far corner of the tent. And I want to encourage you to make that decision. Well, let's go a little further. Jesus says, hold fast so that no one may seize your crown. And of course, the crown for them was this wreath that went around their head. It was the crown of victory. It's the crown of the one who persevered in the uh, competition that we would sometimes even talk about Olympics. Now today, what do we do with Olympic medals? We put it over their head. We give them a nice medal. Or if you're a kid today, what do we give them? We give them trophies out, right? But these are the rewards. Well, let me tell you, God's not talking about something physical today. He's talking about being able to experience a fullness of Him in the kingdom that you will never get on this side of glory. But when He returns, or when we die, we get to go immediately into His presence. He's talking about a fellowship. He's talking about a, rela a relationship. And so He uses this picture, and as you know, if you've been in our series... The Bible in the book of Revelation is filled with pictures and images so that you and I can hold on to them. Concrete images like a crown. And you can imagine this victor's wreath. And it's a picture of this relationship, this fellowship that we can have with Jesus Christ. And of course, the rewards go a little deeper. Let me just say a little bit more. In Psalm 62, it says this, that He, God, will render to each person according to his or her works. Let me just say what the psalmist is saying is that God sees what everyone's doing. Whether they are far from God or they have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, the works, the things that we do will be rewarded. And everyone will be recompensed. And did I say it? It's going to be good for the believers. It's going to be good. Well, Galatians 6 says this, and I hold on to these verses when I see some of the craziness that's in the church. Galatians 6 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he or she will also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Holy Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We only have to drive down any one of our country roads, see our farmers, our great farmers of the Midwest, starting to reap a harvest because they have sown seeds. Well, the same picture is here. The seeds are sown of a spiritual life. Those who have put their trust in Christ will reap eternal life. Paul goes on and writes, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We will reap. He's saying, keep doing good. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing. The church should be serving the world with a message of hope, but serving the world in kindness. That's why at Fox Valley Church, if you're a guest here, I want you to know that Fox Valley Church is at her best when she is telling and showing the story of Jesus Christ. That's when we're at our best. That's what the world needs to see. That's what the world wants, even if they don't know that deep in their soul. Well, let me hit the second promise. The second promise is Jesus will vindicate his faithful church. He will vindicate it. 
Now, we don't use the word vindicate too often, so let me just bring up a definition here. The word vindicate means to clear from an accusation, a suspicion, a dishonor, or any charge of wrongdoing. It also means to vindicate, means to defend against opposition. So let me just say, if people have put their trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I will stand between you and God's wrath. I will stand between you and anything else to clear you of any accusation. I have forgiven you all of your sin. I have wiped away your shame. I have taken away your guilt. That is an amazing vindication. All of us need that. But I want to go a little bit longer on the second one. The second one, part of the definition is to defend against opposition. I just want to speak for a moment. There's people here that have been profoundly hurt by things in this world. Some of it has happened in the church, which is shameful and should not have happened. Some of it is happening in our homes. Destructive patterns of sexual abuse and physical abuse. And people are walking through life with these scars. And they're like, where is Jesus in the middle of all of this? Does he care that my husband has beat me or that my wife has done this or that my children have done this or that a parent has done this right? The list goes on and, and we can look at what's happened in the military. We can look at what's happening in the country and the amount of injustice, pain, and suffering. What Jesus is saying is, I will deal with it. Nothing escapes my notice. So I want you to know, just like Jesus wanted the church in Philadelphia to know, I am looking out for you. I will set the record straight. I don't care what has happened. I will make everything right. So when I say it's going to be good, what I'm saying part of it is we can't even imagine how Jesus Christ is going to do all of this. But he's going down in writing that he will vindicate any injustice brought against you. That is a very hopeful promise that the world, that the church needs to hold on to. So then we have to ask, do I need to vindicate myself? No. I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to defend it. I can let Jesus set the record straight. So now, as this rattles around in your brain, let me ask a question. Is Jesus Christ lying to you right now? With the pain in your heart, whatever injustice has happened, and I know a lot of it has, is Jesus lying to you right now that he's going to make things right? That is the issue of faith. Jesus Christ will vindicate his people. Verse 12, Jesus says this, The name of my God, the name of my God will be written down on this person. He says in verse 12, I will write on him or her, the person who has trusted Jesus Christ, 
I will write on him or her the name of my God. You know why he writes that? For identity purposes. Identity. So that God says, this one is mine. How does he know? My name's on it. We do this in school supplies. Those that have sent their kids to school, right? You write their name on their backpack. You write their name on their books. You write their name on their lunchbox. You write their name on their clothes, their hats, right? So there's an identity there. What Jesus Christ is saying, my God, my God is writing his name on your soul. Nobody can claim you. The identity is established. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I will write the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. So there is more hope. So what he's saying is, I'm giving you an address, and your address is not Dundee, Illinois, not Huntley, Illinois, or Crystal Lake. The new address says the new Jerusalem. And it's got your name written on it, and you have a new residency. These are promises. So again, is Jesus Christ a liar? Is he trying to mislead you? Is he trying to deceive you? Is he some kind of manipulator? Manaliacal? Uh, Manaliacal? Uh, yes. <laughs> liar? No. He's speaking the truth. He's speaking the truth. And then he says and my own new name. Wow. Those are the hopes of Jesus Christ that he wants for us today. It's going to be good. Verse 9, we haven't read it, but he says this, they will know that I love them. Let me just hit the last promise. Jesus is coming soon. That's what he began in verse 11. Jesus is coming soon. For a lot of us, not soon enough. But for those that have loved ones that are still far from God, Jesus wants us to know he's tearing. He's waiting. But it won't be forever. He's coming soon. Let me personify it or personalize it a little bit. Jesus is saying to you and to me this morning, I am coming soon i am coming soon i think we need to understand that in two ways the first way is this church in philadelphia was being persecuted there were people mocking them for their beliefs there were people distorting what they believed there were people that were persecuting them and causing them pain and suffering and one of the things Jesus wanted them to know, as he wants us to know, is there's more unbelief growing in our country. Jesus wants us to know, first of all, that he is with us. Part of what he means by I'm, I'm coming soon is he's saying in Matthew 28, 20, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the power of the church. That's why when people come to Fox Valley Church, they should experience a taste of what it is to know Jesus Christ if we are going to be the people God calls us to be. But then there's the other. There's the future return. When Jesus says, I'm coming soon, what he's saying is, I'm coming back. He was here 2,000 years ago, and what he's telling us this morning is, I'm coming back. 
I'm coming back with all my angels, all my forces, and everyone that believes in me, and I am establishing my kingdom, and my realm will be here on this earth. It will be all mine. And he says, I'm coming soon. Hold on, people. Hold on. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I'm telling you, it's going to be good. Hold on in the midst of this crazy world. Keep trusting in Jesus. Keep turning to Jesus. Keep relying on Jesus. Now let me just give you some action points. The church needs to be the church, but the church is not an abstract entity. The church is people, and we need to be His people. So when you come to church, be ready to love on people and care for people. Leave your politics at home. Leave the other silly, crazy stuff of the world at home and come not merely to receive, but to give. We need to be together to be reminded of truth, to be reminded of the reality of this coming kingdom. We need to be encouraged. We need to be prayed for. We need the church, and we need the church now in the 21st century to be the people that God's called us to be. A humble people, a loving people, a kind people all to get us ready for the kingdom. And did I tell you? It's going to be 